Oops, he did it again. He's made another modcast. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. We go wherever we want to, do what we like to do. We want to the shark when we go out at night. You're going to be one of the faces down there, are you? What do you mean, kind of face? I am one of the faces. Come on, ripped up and ready to go. Mr. Suave's Mod Mod World at MrSuave.com and on ModRadioUK.net. Interrupting all programs. It's a Mod Mod World. asking if I'm back and I haven't really had an answer but now yeah I'm thinking I'm back Born under a bad sign. 
You know, he never really had a chance. He's just another victim of circumstance. From Swab headquarters in Seattle, here he is, host of the Mod Mod World, Mr. Swab. Come on in, everybody. Come on in and get comfortable. We're going to chill and chat with the decibels this week. Modcast 537, turn it up with the decibels. That's right, I've got Dean and Brent Seavers here from the veteran mod band. Insert asterisk here, we'll cover it later. The decibels. I kicked the modcast off with something new. And it was new back in 2001. You heard me. That's right, 2001. When the Decibels dropped their sophomore release, The Big Sounds of the Decibels, it included that song, Something New. They were vets even then, having started out in music in the late 80s, early 90s, and then so on and so on. But I'll let them tell you those stories. What I want to tell you is what a damn fantastic band they are. Right out the gate in 1997 with their first LP, Create Action, they did. They created a lot of action, mod dance action for sure. They had jangly guitars, ringing power chords, catchy hooks, and a melding of 60s beat rock with 80s power pop in a 90s indie sort of way. There was no doubting the influences at play, the Who, the Kinks, the Beatles, and so on. The songs had a garagey edge that gave them energy and a sharpness, well, just made them sizzle. Fast forward a few years or decades and the Decibels came roaring back in 2018 with their fourth album, Seen Not Heard. There was a definite maturing heard across the board. The players were even better. The sound was much the same, but uh, at a level probably previously not achieved. They were at the top of their game, as they are right now. And right now, they have a brand new album out, When Red Lights Flash. It simply rocks. It's got an accessibility to it that is familiar, but with enough newness to keep it fresh beginning to end. Songs like Enough, with its very mod opening that lets you know right where you're at. And then it takes you on this rip-roaring power-pop ride that doesn't slow down until the last lick. The album is chock full of gems like that. He thinks he's right. Today's your day. Songs like that could have fallen right off a Plimsolls or Knack album. There's echoes of the 60s like the Beatles, the Who, and the Zombies. Nothing here will disappoint. So get on over to Bandcamp and get When Red Lights Flash. As always, I've got a link to the band's Bandcamp page up on the Modcast homepage at MrSwav.com. Don't forget to spell out the Mr. And, of course, there is all the other important stuff there. And you can link up with me and the Decibels on our various social media outlets from there. And I'm sure they'd love to hear from you, as would I. So, you know, keep us in your loop. Moving on. If you like 60s-influenced power pop, if you like danceable garage rock, if you long for mod revival sorts of sounds, then the decibels are your guys. Here is just a little taste before we talk with Dean and Brent. First up, you will hear from their 2018 album, See Not Heard, 
stupidity, which they say is their favorite word. And then for the new album, I'm going to give you my favorite, or one of, that is, he thinks he's right, but he's wrong. After that, we'll turn it up with the decibels. Stick around.
Hopper's gone. Whatever happened to 10 speed? Find out on Mr. Swab's Mod Mod World at MrSwab.com. I have two special guests with me today. I am talking with Brent and Dean from The Decibels. Thank you for being here, guys. I really do appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, the occasion for this discussion really is your new album when red lights flash and we will get to that but i just want to talk a little bit about your history and where you've been and the journey you've been on and how you got to this point so um i don't know you can fill me in on how things got started uh, and it was a it was a ways back i think right oh yeah yeah i mean kind of the origin of the decibels started in the 80s uh 1986 uh, formed a band called the e-types and uh generally you know if you pick up the old e-types record you can still hear like the roots of the decibels in that our first gig ever actually was it the second gig ever was at um scooter rage in san francisco wow that would have been in, in 86 maybe 87 i don't remember exactly <laughs> yeah so we you know carried on and then in 1992 the bass player and i just were going different directions musically and uh I should have just asked him to leave and carried on the name, but I didn't like conflict. And so I just broke the band up. <laughs> and then the drummer and I started the decibels with Joe and we were a three piece until 95. Is that right, Brent? Yeah. 95. <laughs> and, uh, and then Joe wanted to move from bass over to guitar. So we got Brent in when he was fresh faced and 17 years old. Uh, and there was a, a couple blips in the late nineties, Brent moved away for a little bit and then Joe got super busy starting his own business. So we had a couple of guys kind of fill in for shows and things like that. But, you know, in terms of the creative lineup, it's been the same since 95 after we got Brian Machado in. Wow. And That's Brian pretty I, impressive. Uh, pardon me? That's pretty impressive to be able to keep a group together like that, uh, even on and off for this many years, you know? Yeah. I can't imagine having anybody else involved. That makes sense. So your first album was in 1997, like the first full length release. Correct. And you, you did several uh, pretty quickly over the course of the turn of the century there. Is that right? Well, I mean, we did. So we did Create Action in 97. Um, it came out on vinyl in 97 and CD in 98, back when CDs were a thing. Um, and then Brent moved back and then we did Big Sounds. We recorded in 2000. And then it's right in 2000 with the 2001 release. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was supposed to be on a different label, but their funding was through the dot-com money. Oh. <laughs> and we were in the studio as the dot-com bubble was bursting, and yeah. so we lost our funding. So we didn't we didn't know if it was ever going to come out. And then we had a friend of ours that rescued it from the studio and, and put it out. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that was back in the day when you had to have studio and studio time. Right. And uh, it wasn't always cheap. Mm-hmm. So in the early 2000s, then, I mean, you're – your sound was very what I would call mod friendly, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily a hard mod band, but you were, you know, came out of the mod scene and had uh, tendencies leaning in that direction. Right. So that's how you kind of the influence was from the 60s music sort of. Yeah, 60s and 79 Power Pop. I mean, I think Brent and I considered ourselves all through the 90s as a mod band. It's just that mods didn't. So <laughs> That was kind of the problem. Yeah, I mean, we were Vespa riding suit wearing uh, rock and rollers, you know, and and, and definitely with, um, you know, heavy influences, uh, certainly with the performances of the early Who, uh, the recordings of the early Who were just big, big influences uh, for us. But I mean, we, we go back, uh, a lot of our uh, influences are the same, kind of overlap a little bit, Dean and I. Uh, some miners early back, I remember just as, as a kid hearing the ventures and just thinking that was everything. That guitar music was so cool. Uh, the surf stuff, safaris and all that. Uh, but then TV hits and I'm seeing Beatles cartoons and I'm seeing monkeys reruns as a little kid. And I thought that's where it's at, man. That's, that is so much fun, but uh, just really latched on to all that early sixties guitar music. For me, I was learning guitar uh, at about the time when FM radio was playing electronic music, you know, uh, synth stuff. And so I didn't really relate. And so I was trying to find either AM stations that spoke to me or just different oldies stations turning to the dial. So all of that early um, kinks, Paul Revere and the Raiders, that that Herman's Hermits, all of that was a big influence on me because that's what I was hearing on the radio and they're playing guitars. And I liked that. And then that just, for me, especially like with the early Who, to me, that felt like a very natural uh, step towards like the jam and the plimsolls and the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, power pop and mod sort of scenes uh, there. Right. Uh, so yeah, that was a big deal for me. Yeah. And in the nineties, it was interesting. The term mod sort of fell out of favor mods. People who had previously been mods sort of didn't use the term as much bands kind of shied away from it for a little while, even though I would listen to them and I think, wow, this is yeah, kind of a mod band or, or obviously has mod tendencies and, and a sound from the sixties and the late seventies power pop stuff. It's just kind of funny that that was the case. And then some point in the 2000s, people started like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll embrace that term again. Yeah, it's it's strange because I, I don't know how it was in Seattle, but in the 90s, everybody that I knew that were mods got into like Acid House and, and uh, you know, Adidas shoes and all that sort of stuff, and which is fine. I didn't relate to it at all. Um, but I think for me, a lot of the my sense of being a mod really came from the music and the aesthetic that went with the music rather than with people who maybe were probably purer mods, it was really the aesthetic. And then the music was the soundtrack to their aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I came in it from it backwards from a, a quote unquote real mod. Um, I, I love the aesthetic because I love the music from those bands in that era. So. Yeah. I think that was certainly the case for me too. The music was the biggest draw. And then, of course, you were learning about this time of the 60s and, and the styles and the aesthetic that went with that. And then how that translated later, especially like with some of the Britpop sort of stuff in the, the 90s, you know, and hearing Oasis and some of those bands embracing a more Beatles, kinksy sort of sound at times. Right. 
So you guys were uh, scooter riders then as well. Did you? Continue? Oh yeah, I still am. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you an avid scooterist? Um, I would say in my heart, yes. In terms of actual hours on the scooter, not as much anymore. Life kind of gets in the way, and I mean, we talked about before. It's always more fun to ride with other people and to have a place to go. So I'll take the the scooter out and go someplace, or sometimes I'll just go for a ride. But after a while, you get a little bit lonely. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, scooter rallies are fun because they're rallies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or even just having a group of friends, you know, Hey, we're going to meet up and we're going to go ride down the Delta and go get you know, Mexican food and, you know, a town 30 miles away or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm always going to have a, an old Vespa or Lambretta hanging around. It's just such a part of life. And you know, Brent's still got a Vespa as well. I had, I had my three Vespas for a bit, but, um, cause that's the thing is you go like, well, it's so much easier to convince somebody to ride with you if you provide the scooter. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, um, bought those early in my teens and would cruise around Elk Grove when everybody was in school. So I'd pick like a Tuesday afternoon and just sort of ride where I wasn't supposed to ride. And that was just a fun thing to do on these little scooters. And it's nice. Cause if anybody asked, you know, like, what is that thing? What are you doing? Oh no, no, it's, it's, it's uh, under 50 CCs, which is California law. You have to have it, you know, licensed and things like that above. Oh yeah. It's just a nice little 49 CC, just little scooter. And <laughs> we just, we just ride around. It's just so much fun. But that was my teen years was, um, and we do everything. It, it was that I bought ones that were beat up. So I had an, a VNA and a V VBB, I think yeah. anyway, 58 and a 64 all state that were just rusted through and horrible. So we'd take them out in the rain and we realized, cause we were Converse wearing punk rockers at the time. You could do a wheelie on your Vespa and then stand like you're skiing behind it. So the Vespa's straight up, you're on skis, and you'd ski with your Converse down the street uh, in the rain, and that was just so much fun. So, yeah, stupid things like that. But um, those are happy memories, and I don't think I'll ever get rid of uh, – uh, I'll yeah. always have a scooter, I should say that. This is such a blast. I remember uh, actually being in Oakland or San Jose, I'm not sure which, in the late 80s for uh, some sort of a scooter rally and concert event. And the hotel where most people were staying had a big, long parking strip behind it. And they actually put mattresses out of the hotel rooms at the end of the strip. And people were drag racing their scooters down there. Um, we did some stupid things, sort of. <laughs> yeah. It was fun, though. I mean, that's yeah, it was part fun. of the culture. Well, you get older and you wonder how you survived your youth, you know? Oh, I know, right? Uh, we used to ride on the freeway and you get behind a semi and just kind of let it suck you down the freeway. And I'm like, I would, I don't do that in my car today. <laughs> Anyhow, I do want to get back to talking more about the band and the music. Um, sure. I would like to find out from you from the, the first couple of albums, um, create actions, the first album, right. And the second album is big, big sound. Yeah. Okay. Of the decibels, right. That's the full title. Big yeah. sounds of the decibels. Do you have uh, some, some favorite songs? Maybe we could play one or two things, pick up the oldies, so to speak. And uh, I'll drop those in and people can listen to them. Anything you'd especially like to highlight? That's such a hard question. I don't know. Like, I, which kid's your favorite kid? Right. Right. I always liked playing change live it's off of create action it's one that that if people weren't moving that song would get them to move so that was always like a nice syncopated fun dance number so i always liked playing change that's in cool in terms of playing i always like playing overcast day too that riff in the beginning is a lot of fun and then the harmony so 
All right. I, I'm going to uh, play those and I'm going to play one that I always really liked. And I think it was the first song of yours that I played on the modcast quite a long time back uh, when I discovered you guys there in the mid aughts of 2000, some point good, which I think is the lead track off of uh, the create action. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's take a listen to those and then we'll come back and we'll talk about newer stuff as well. Great. Thanks.
albums because i can't remember what tracks are on what unless i'm staring at it. <laughs> uh, that's uh, yeah that's funny right i mean it's been a long time and when you have enough stuff out there you gotta think well what was that i just remember that uh, that the good song um i've tried over the years to not play uh too many duplicates or the same song from bands which can be a little bit hard but there's so much music to choose from um i've actually played that on the modcast twice i found out oh wow looking it up and i'm like hey i i've played you guys a number of times and then there's that track twice so i know i really like it <laughs> well i know brett and i it's whenever a new record comes out we're always a little bit relieved because because we'll get the labels usually send us um you know airplay uh stats and things like that or, or we, you can see things streaming or whatever yeah it's always nice when there's not just one song you know if, if there's like four or five songs that are getting an equal amount of airplay or name drops and things like that because i know that like uh, it's really important to brent and i to like not have any filler on the record so it's always hard when you say hey what's your favorite one because it's like we worked really hard to not you know to make sure everyone is worthy of being on the album uh you know in hindsight you kind of go eh, maybe that one doesn't have as much sparkle as this other one but it's really important for us to like self-edit and just put the cream and not the filler right and some may be more um geared more for live performance as opposed to a really great recording that maybe you don't play as live as yeah. often or something i yeah. don't know um that's kind of uh, interesting. So I have to ask you, um, I think it's your third album is the uh, Bart Thuber, Thurber Thurber session? Sessions. Yeah. Who is Bart Thurber? Okay. Uh, I will, I'll try to give you the cliff notes of this. Um, we were friends with the Odd Numbers. This was back in the E-Types days. And we played, I'm pretty sure they played here first. And then we played in San Jose. And got to talking to them about they they had a four song EP that came out that just sounded great and we were talking to them about it and they said oh yeah we recorded with a guy named Bart Thurber who's got a studio called House of Faith so we went to go re record our E types EP there at first it was I I was a little bit nervous about it because my uh, my impression on what a recording studio should be or like from the photos of like old you know Nelson Riddle Frank Sinatra Capital albums or or uh you know abbey road you know these big you know cathedral kind of places with acoustic tile all over it and stuff and we pull up and it's like this super rundown building and you walk in and it stinks you know and uh, <laughs> the carpet's got gum stains on it and there's graffiti all over and the actual recording room um you know i'm expecting this place to be pristine and then there's a window where you can see the engineer and all the stuff and there's none of that. It turns out that the the engineer's room is like down the hallway. There, there's this record store and then the engineer's room is down the hall. It's like, oh man, what have we got ourselves into? And then I met Bart. He was like a really nice guy. Um, 
at the time because I was uh, a mod kid and sort of snobby in terms of appearances and stuff. He kind of had a you know tatty sweater and hair down to his waist, and I'm thinking, oh man, what's this going to turn out like? <laughs> uh, but we got on like a house on fire. He, it turns out he was in a mod band in the um, late '70s out of San Francisco called Start. And they put out one single and it cost them a stupid amount of money to record. Wow. So Bart made a decision that, hey, every band should be able to afford to record. So he set up the studio and kept it really cheap and it, it did a bunch of bands. And he was a blast to work with. He, we really clicked on that. He got our angle and so he'd make these suggestions. And it was just really fun to record with them. And he always, you know, charged us the same rate even though we might go three or four hours over it got to the point where um we would just save our gig money and until we got enough to go and record with bart so we ended up having i don't know 18 or 20 tracks from three different sessions i think wow but it never went anywhere i think four of them came out on the decibels ep um on gi records but the rest of these tracks never saw the light of day and then a japanese label wanted to do a best of which was weird because we we're like, best of what? I mean, we haven't done anything. And um, the licensing was tricky for some stuff for some of the songs from I think Create Action and Big Sounds. And so we said, hey, we've got all these old recordings that you know never really seen the light of day. You want to put those out? And I said, sure. And so those are the Bart Thurber sessions because those are all the songs we recorded with Bart. That's fantastic. I when I saw the title, I didn't know if it was just an interesting title you came up with, but it's cool to know that this was, you know, an actual person and somebody committed to trying to help bands and uh, get good stuff out there. And then it does have a sophisticated sound because the Bart Thurber sessions, you know, is pretty cool. Right. Well, it kind of. I mean, I guess there might be like a uh, a little bit of a subconscious take of you know you got all those john peel sessions records that came out in the 80s and stuff like that and even though bart wasn't a um wasn't a you know a radio dj or anything like that i think those i think recording with bart was really integral to our growth as a band um and having a, a soundboard rather than we were spoiled because there were studios we recorded in where the engineer hit record and he was like reading a magazine and stuff while we were recording <laughs> and they weren't listening or gave a crap or anything like that. And so I think it was important to just sort of name drop Bart because he was really important to the early formation and growth of us as a band. Yeah. So after that, you guys actually have a few or more than a few years off from recording. Anyhow, you have a little hiatus in there as life happens, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that was just a combination of different things, people going different ways, and you managed to all come back together again, though. Yeah, Brent moving back was integral to that happening. Yeah, I went off to, to college, uh, got a degree in digital media, whatever that means, um, and but it taught me audio engineering, and uh, it's, it's fun when your homework is go record a song or buy a microphone. <laughs> Uh, gave me an excuse to uh, purchase all the stuff that you, that you see behind me, yeah. <laughs> you know, stuff for the studio that allowed me to record uh, the decibels. And so early on, we were like, hey, let's try this out. Let's see uh, if we can even do it. I mean, I just got fresh out of school. I haven't really been doing this much other than little side projects. So we took it for a test drive. And that's what Big Hits is, is the decibels recording 
a bunch of songs that we had performed live, never recorded because they weren't our own. And we thought this will be a good way just to test the equipment. And uh, we all thought it turned out pretty decent. And mm -hmm. so does uh, Richie at Screaming Apple enough that we were just going to uh, show it to him and say, here's an example of what we can do. And, and we'll present a, a better album later or a different album of originals later. But he liked it enough that he wanted to release it. So it became our next release there. I don't remember which, if it, if Big Hits had Bart Thurber involved or if it was Seen Not Heard. But yeah, there was, it was Seen Not Heard. Seen Not Heard. So it was it was enough that like when Seen Not Heard came, we did the same process. We recorded everything uh, in my studio and then took it for mixing and, and uh, final mastering uh, with uh, with Bart Thurber uh, wow. for, for Seen Not Heard. That's great. Um, and it's, you know, not a lot of bands can come back together in their entirety uh you know you guys were lucky to be able to do that and then to also be able to work with uh producer you know engineer bart again uh after a long time like that uh that's a that's a pretty great accomplishment so uh it, was, it, it shows cool. well and luckily we we all knew how to fight the same way is there something comforting about like if we are going to push and pull and, and struggle that, that at least it's the same push and pull and struggle, you know what you're getting into. But it's also one of those things that we had gelled so much as a band that by this point, you could come in and say, okay, new song, key of A, one, two, three, go. And it starts sounding good uh, almost immediately. So uh, it's really cool working with uh, the talent that we've been working with. So, uh, How was it doing covers that you didn't know at the time that you were going to be uh, I guess, publishing that you were just sort of testing things out, right? Versus doing all originals because most of your stuff is original. So live, it was always, you know, especially back then we were playing a lot and, and I always felt like we, you got to give people their money's worth. So you don't want to do the same set over and over again. Right. So it's kind of nice to pepper sets with covers. And a lot of, a lot of times the covers would be, we'd keep them in the set for, three shows or something two or three shows and then move on to something else uh and so i, I know i was a little bit nervous i don't know if brent was because it's always a little bit of the kiss of death when a band comes out with a covers record so you think oh they're out of ideas oh, um right. kind of thing and so i was a little bit nervous about it uh because it wasn't we were re recording those for kind of posterity and again to just you know for Brent to work out his studio setup and everything and just figure out how to record ourselves um, in terms of mics and where to put amps and, you know, stuff like that, uh, never intending them to go public. And so when Richie heard it said, Oh, we're going to put this out too. I was a little bit like, uh, okay. So it, I don't know if you ever go back and see anything, any press about big hits, it's like always mandatory that it's a, a new album of originals is coming out shortly. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen that. Yeah. You know, um, that was always something because I was a little bit nervous about relying on a covers record. So. Right. Um, for listeners, I think covers records are kind of fun because uh, you know, you get to hear these older songs that you know so well, and they kind of have a little new spinner vibe from the, the band that's doing it. Um, and then if you're also doing new material, that's a big bonus too. And you guys have a lot of new material over the last few years, including the most recent album, uh, When Red Lights Flash, which is, I don't know, is it a month old yet? Maybe. 
just about in a few days it will be it was officially yeah. released march 10th so okay. that, that's when it was released yeah. yeah um and how was that making this new album in 2023 versus you know uh 20 or 2002 or 1997 when you had that other album uh things must have changed quite a bit well, th- this was a unique uh, situation in that we started in, in 2019. We started recording for this album and then pandemic hits and uh, that really changed a lot. We were even discussing like, okay, do we put Brian outside in the backyard and different people in different rooms? Like, uh, you know, drums will be one place and like, how are we going to record this thing? We are trying to uh, figure things out. Um but so we're really grateful that we were able to move forward with that. But um, even with seen, not heard, it was a mixture of songs that um, we had, we had been sitting on for a while that just didn't get recorded. Um, some that were newer, uh, but with red lights flash, when red lights flash, it's almost entirely newer uh, music. And I think uh, for that, that also made it different because it was a different approach. And then also knowing that, um, you know, the, the, we were making this more of a, uh, a recording presentation. We didn't necessarily think, oh, we're going to try to, how will these convert to live performances or things like that? We just thought, let's give the listener uh, our best recording of, of what we're hearing in our heads, of what we've written, of what we want to uh, perform. So that's really what changed here with When Red Lights Flash is if we dream it, it's getting recorded kind of thing. Well, it, it shows the the effort you put in because it is super tight. The production is great. The quality is great. I mean, everything, the playing, the vocals, all of that. Uh, it sounds so good. And I do stumble across bands that you're like, why in the world would you have recorded this? You know, it sounds pretty horrible. And uh, it's just one of those things, you know, I just kind of leave those to the side and pass on by and look for something like this that I can really get behind and start listening to. And it is super polished. You know, it's just so mod friendly at top to bottom. I think that my favorite song is he thinks he's right, but he's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but he's wrong. Um, but there's a, a number of really good songs on there, and I I just can't tell you how much I've enjoyed listening to it the last couple of weeks. So yeah, thanks so much. I mean, that's that's the payoff for doing records in 2023 is feedback from people, you know, that they enjoy it. So good. Yeah, and recording these days is, um, I mean, you were talking about during the lockdown doing it in different places, but a lot of people now record, you know in different countries and it's so different from how it used to be put together. And I'm not a musician, so I don't really know how that works, but it must be kind of fun to be able to do things this way now. So I, w- I will say for, for us as a band and, and Dean's uh, with me on this one is the performance has an energy that uh, isn't quite captured if people are in different countries or in different rooms or in different places so when we record we're all in the same room together the bass core tracks are us performing live Um, we polish we practice and we make sure that the recording is full energy and exactly what we want to deliver and that's kind of why this is so polished and why it has that hit is just because 
if we didn't get it right with those core tracks, we, d- we tried again, we moved on. And there were times that we would let it sit for a month or two or three, knowing we had time, it being the pandemic, and would revisit and say, you know what? I hate to do this to you guys, but we're coming back in the studio. We got to do another take. The nice thing about it is studio time is free, but it shows. It shows that uh, we wanted to give our best. Go ahead, yeah. Dean. Sorry. It was a real pain in the butt with enough, and um, uh, this might be the end. Recorded it and got pretty far along, and I was just like, yeah, the tempo's not right on these. We need to go back and start over. Uh, and I was just like, that's the that's the care we put into everything that we've done, but we didn't have the funds when we were in the studio. So there were some things where I'm happy with all the records, but there's some, especially when we were younger, we used to play some things way too fast. (laughs) Um, I remember at live shows, I saw there's something online of like one of the first decibels performances back in 93 were on a, like a cable access show. Wow. And I laugh because it's like, it just sounds like a jet airplane. So we're playing the speed of sound. And at the time when we would play gigs, I would go, why are people dancing? And, and uh, yeah, they couldn't dance because we were playing it way too stinking fast. So <laughs> on some of those early studio things on Create Action, whatever, I'll hear, if I hear it now, I'll kind of go, eh. I mean, I like it, but it's like, yeah, it's a little on the fast side. So Right, right. So when you're doing songs, like you were saying, it, it just didn't sound right to you. So you knew you had to come back and like perfect it. Do the songs take drastic changes along the, the evolution of them? Like from what you perceive in the very beginning and then the final output, you're like, oh, okay, this one took on a life of its own. There, there were a few songs on the early records uh, that did change when they were first presented by whomever wrote it uh, that we, we would really put our own spin on it. And some of that was out of necessity. I can only play bass the way I play bass and Brian plays drums the way he plays drums. So they would get centralized to the, whatever the decibel sound is. And so sometimes that would happen, but never, never at the start of recording, by the time we got to recording, we had already test driven the song a bit. We'd already worked out the arrangement, but that's, but, but certainly when, when we would come with the song, a lot of times we'd present it with me just singing vocals, playing guitar, and here's the song and Dean doing the same thing. Occasionally saying, Here, here's a little riff or here's a, a, a part that we wrote that's integral to this. But um, no, then, then you just let the musicians do what they need to do. Um, come up with their own drum parts, their own uh, solos, their own changes. And um, it, it's, it's really a good collaborative effort. So at yeah. that point, it's a real group effort. Yeah. Yeah. I think we we operate on the basis that the the songwriter kind of has veto power uh, if there's something that a lead or a, a part you know whoever wrote the song can go oh, that's pretty good but that's not quite can we try something different on that and that's always seemed to work out pretty well but yeah it's it's I mean that's what the decibel sound is it's pretty funny because I know Brent and I both with songs we have songs that we you just know it's like oh this isn't a decibel song so you don't bring it to the table. Although there was a couple songs with this one, I'm like, I don't think this is a decibel song. And Brian was, and Joe and even Brian were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's try it. And they're like, okay, you're right. It's a decibel song. So. <laughs> and then it just sort of fits its way into the, the lineup, right? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, do you have plans to, uh, to get out and do any live performances or do you just get ready for your next record now? 
Yeah, the live thing, um, we played a lot behind See Not Heard. And while it was a lot of fun, um, I am the guy in the group that's sort of super stickler for like over-rehearsing. I mean, to the point where it's sort of mind-numbingly boring. And to me, that's because I need it. Um, but I like going to a gig where you're not thinking about playing so you can be in the moment with the audience and and pick up on what's going on in the room and adjust to that or deliver what you need to deliver. Yeah. And while those shows in 2018 and 19 were fun, I don't think we were at our peak. And then I also have, I have voice problems. Um, and so it was a little stressful not knowing how much voice I was going to have for each gig. I might be okay two days before and then go into it and tell the guys, Hey, we can't, I can't sing this song or this song or this song tonight. And, um, and, and so that just got stressful. So, and then you combine it into the fact that people our age don't really go to shows very much anymore. It's right. a, it's a lot of work. Um, and I always appreciated the people who take the time and spend the money and come see you. We weren't in a position to deliver in the way that we used to be able to in the late nineties and early two thousands when I think we were a pretty good live band. And so, yeah, I think I told the guys, ah, I'm just not up for playing live anymore. But recording these days, I mean, like you said, we don't get out to as many shows as we used to. Part of that's being older. Part of it's the environment that the world is in these days. It's a combination of all those things, but it's just the fact that, yeah, not not out there as often. But being able to get really good, well-rehearsed, well-produced music and then get to enjoy it, you know, in the comfort of home uh, is pretty great. And so... There must be some not it's not similar to the feeling you probably got on a live stage, but you must be good to know that people are out there enjoying the music, despite the fact that you're not out there performing it live. Yes, this is not instant feedback like you get when you're performing live. But, you know, hearing that you like how this recent album was produced, that's that's the same satisfaction you get playing live, uh, knowing that the work you put into something matters to somebody. Um, so that's really where the feedback is. You just have to wait <laughs> to see what people think. We're playing live, you know, instantly if you stink or if you are connecting with someone. And then the reach. Uh, it's much wider audience now where you have dwindling live audiences. Uh, the reach now being able to record and put it out online. Um, I mean, we're getting thousands of plays on Spotify and Apple and uh, iTunes and things like that. So that's that's good. Yeah. And I think where Brent is, just really quickly, I think Brent's the same as me. I've been a music head since I was a little kid. And and it was records that I fell in love with. And as much as like playing a good live show when you when you just had those out-of-body experiences occasionally and everything was clicking, it was amazing. But I fell in love with records and it was making records. I always just wanted to be a part of that because I like, man, if I could make a record that is like somebody's favorite record, that how do, it doesn't get any better than that, you know, because records kind of yeah. lived forever, you know. Right. Um, so you have vinyl for all of your releases? Uh, actually, I don't, Bart Thurber, no, that was CD only. And um, yeah, the vinyl for When Red Lights Flash is supposed to be out in the fall, although 
I don't know, Brent, from what it seems like with Richie, it sounds like it might be sooner. It, it, probably sooner in the fall. Um, my guess would be uh, basic turnarounds about six weeks and we got the ball rolling about two weeks ago. So uh, while, okay. while we were telling everybody the fall, it could be a lot sooner. And then um, it sound, it looks like uh, Big Sounds again is also going to get, that's the remastered version of Big Sounds of the Decibels. Uh, so Big Sounds again is also going to get its vinyl released finally. Yeah, it's supposed to be out in May. So for Snap Records in Spain. Oh, that's great. Uh, vinyl these days, and I'm just, what I hear anecdotally is like a little hit or miss. You know, there's all these supply and uh, production issues behind the scenes of getting stuff made and actually pressed and out there, the supply chain problem, I guess. So it's good to hear that something's coming and that yeah. maybe it'll even be sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate your guys having taken the time to do this. And I'm hoping that this helps with uh, getting the word out about the album. I mean, you spend all this time producing this and uh, you know, really it's, it, you're not done now. It's, you're just starting the next phase of the work for, you know, however 16, 18 months or longer to really uh, get it out there. And the nice thing is it's new for people. You know, I'm always excited when I stumble across something that I hadn't heard before. Uh, and especially when it's really good. So I'm going to try and get it out there. So people, you know, stumble over it all over the place. <laughs> well, thanks, Rod. I appreciate you uh, deeming us worthy to uh, put yeah. us on the podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time. And uh, I will put links up to your Bandcamp page. That's probably the best place to send people. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, I just heard that Bandcamp signed a deal with, I don't know, a, a video game company the people who uh, maybe epic games or something anyhow apparently lots of independent bands at Bandcamp may start appearing in video games uh oh, on soundtracks related to that <laughs> wouldn't that be great right that'd be awesome yeah so uh we'll look forward to that sometime when i'm playing some game and yelling at the tv and then one of your songs comes on <laughs> <laughs> he thinks he's right but he's wrong um <laughs> all right so Thanks a lot. The decibels when red lights flash, I'll put a link to the band camp to their band camp page at mr suave.com. And you can check out some stuff. If I can find that uh, 1993 video of you, maybe I'll post that up there too. <laughs> we'll talk about that. All right. All right. Thanks, thanks guys. Hey, thanks.
vibration. 